episode 700. Wow. I was told by our marketing manager, Sean, that this is a milestone that we should celebrate. And I wasn't really sure. At what point do you start celebrating milestones in podcasting? You know, I think 50 episodes makes sense, 100 episodes, maybe 500 episodes. But after 500, you know, when do you start celebrating these milestones? I thought maybe 750, 1000 made sense. But I'm going to take our marketing manager's word for it. So here I am celebrating episode 700. At least I think it's 700. Some of the podcasting platforms say that we've recorded over 700 episodes. I haven't got to the bottom of why that is yet. Anyway, in recognition of what is probably our 700th episode, a special shout out to our previous hosts, Kelvin Newman, who got this podcast started, Andy White, who hosted this podcast for a really long time, all of the guests that have been on to make this podcast a fun place to be, and of course, you our listeners. It remains the case that I'd love to learn more about you all. I hope you're here in 700 episodes time. And if you'd like to shape the future of the next 700 episodes, reach out to us, give us your feedback, give us your guest suggestions, tell us which topics you want us to talk about. We love to hear it all. You can reach us with anything at marketing at sitevisibility.com. Our website is sitevisibility.co.uk or find me on LinkedIn, Scott Colnut, and pop me a message. Now on to this week's episode. In today's episode, I'm joined by Brian Clayton, founder of GreenPow. GreenPow is an innovative online marketplace that's been dubbed the Uber for lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine. GreenPow currently services over 300,000 active customers with ambitions to make that number 1 million. Prior to launching GreenPow, Brian successfully exited his first company, Peachtree Inc., growing the business to over 10 million in annual revenue before being acquired by Lusa Holdings in 2013. In this episode, Brian shares some of his experience and entrepreneurial lessons from the landscaping industry across Peachtree and GreenPow. He shares some important insights on the differences between self-learning and academic learning, and he shares his thoughts on what it takes to build a successful business like GreenPow in the sharing economy. Enjoy the episode. This is Internet Marketing. I'd like you to describe a little bit about GreenPow and your day-to-day role at GreenPow as it stands today. Yeah, sounds good. So uh, thanks, Scott. Um, GreenPow is a, is a marketplace and mobile app that works like DoorDash or Postmates or Uber, but for lawn care services. And so my day-to-day job is to make sure the marketplace is humming. Um, we basically connect buyers and sellers. So people who need lawn mowing services, we tee them up and get them connected really fast with people who do lawn mowing services. And so we operate in every city in the United States. And so we're always uh, looking to match supply and demand and making sure we have enough suppliers, um, making sure we have enough liquidity and making sure transactions are running smoothly. And, uh, and also, uh, you know, growth and, and SEO is a big part of that. You know, how are we ranking for keywords that we're targeting in, in, in these metropolitan areas? That's a, that's a big part of my day to day as well as monitoring how our SEO efforts are doing. And, and because we're really the, the, the vibrancy of our marketplace is a function of how much traffic we can, we can garner and how much signups we can tee up for our vendor partners. And so if we're not doing that, we're not really value, we're not delivering value to them. And so that's a big part of what I do. So I guess you could say, um, my official roles are, are 
managing the marketplace and then, and then also managing the growth teams. Are those roles roles that you want to do? So do you really enjoy being involved in those aspects? It's a really good question. So my, my first business was actually a, a landscaping company. I I built in, uh, a landscaping business from just me and a push mower to me and 150 employees. And so, uh, and, and eventually getting that business over, over eight figures a year in revenue. And then it was acquired in 2013. So after I sold that business, I took some time off and got bored and thought, well, what am I going to do now? And I, and I thought, well, maybe somebody's going to build a mobile app to, that works like Uber for lawn care services. And, and why can't that be me? Why, why can't I, I lead that? And so I, I recruited two co-founders and we started working on the idea. And I made a promise to myself that from that day forward, uh, that I was just going to do whatever it was I wanted to do. And I was going to have fun doing it. And, and, I, and I didn't want to like go through the grind of starting a company all over again and not have fun and like literally like chew glass for five years. <laughs> so, so for 10 years, you know, green pals, a 10 year overnight success. It, uh, there's been some hundred hour weeks, but I haven't worked a day in 10 years. It really has been what I wanted to do. So I have kind of naturally settled into the two hats, I guess you could say that I enjoy doing. So I, I enjoy seeing people using the platform, seeing people getting value from what we've built and and helping small business owners in this space grow is really why I get out of bed in the morning. So every day we get stories from, hey, you know, because of Green Pal, I was able to put a down payment on a house or mm-hmm. I was able to pay off student loan debt or I was able to pay off some medical debt um, or it's a big one. I was able to buy a riding lawnmower. <laughs> you know, that's a big <laughs> like that's a big level up in this business. A, a, a commercial riding lawnmower is like 15, 15 grand. Mm-hmm. And so and so these like, these these moments where we're able to help people who make their living in, in the landscaping industry improve their livelihood is why I do what I do. It's why my team does what we do, and 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 I enjoy it. So so yeah, I enjoy these roles, and I'm going to keep doing them as so long as I'm halfway good at them and I'm having fun. So you seem to really enjoy the marketing aspect and like being hands on involved in the practical aspects of marketing. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what I that's what I gravitate towards. I think. Mm. When you're starting a, a tech company like this, ideally, you should get like a hacker and a hustler. That's what Paul Graham says. Get a hacker and a hustler. So you get a hustler, somebody who's just driven to 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 move the project forward, to who's sales oriented. You get a hacker who knows the technical execution side of it. When we first started GreenPow, we had three hustlers. <laughs> we didn't have any hackers. So we had to learn the hacker side. We had to teach ourselves how to write software teach ourselves how to build uh, a mobile app, teach ourselves how to write code. And that took like three years. And so, and so uh, we kind of became the, the hacker side. But as time went on and we started to make a little bit of money and I could reinvest in building a team, I was able to build and delegate the, the, the development side of it because I'm not naturally good at that and then focus on the distribution and marketing side of it, which I'm also not very good at, but I guess I, I enjoy doing that better. With that aspect of hacking, and those early days of kind of grinding, I guess, building an MVP, how are you teaching yourself? Have you got any kind of resources or tips for people out there just for how to stay motivated when you're learning and going through that process? It certainly is a challenge. Um, one of the things that I enjoyed uh, in my first business, and I didn't realize it was happening at the time. So I spent 15 years in the landscaping business as an operator and you know just me as a as a push mower as a teenager mowing yards eventually 
with with 150 employees. And one thing that was happening was every year or two, I was evolving and growing into a whole new person. I was having to learn skills, whether it be leadership, management, basic accounting, basic business strategy, marketing, all of these things. And so the business was like enriching my life, uh, causing me to learn and take on new skills that I never would have learned in a million years. Mm -hmm. And I think passively, I didn't know it at the time, but that was that was rewarding. That was fulfilling to me. And so when I sold the business, that was now gone. And it was like, almost like I had this weird, um, almost like a identity crisis. Like, man, I don't have this thing causing me to move forward in life. And I, I don't have this, this thing that's causing me to be better. And so now that was gone. And so I think that's what attracted me to get back into the game and try mm. to build a, a, a tech company, to try to build a, a marketplace. And and, uh, and so, and so I kind of knew that. And so I knew that, okay, well, there's going to be challenges. There's, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to grow and learn the tooling and the, and the skill sets you need. Um, that didn't make it any more fun or any easier, but, but I knew that going in and, and as time went on, I, I realized that to not believe your own BS. So, you know, you may not have the title of engineer, but that doesn't mean you can't learn the 80, 20 of some basic uh, basic code and, and, and whether it be front end or back end, um, you may not have the title of designer, but it doesn't mean you can't learn like the 80, 20 of what good UX and good UI looks like and, 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 and be dangerous. And so I, as I would like take all of my nights and weekends, just pouring over YouTube university, every blog post I could get my hands on courses on Udemy, um, you name it. Uh, I began to like get that feeling all over again. Like, Man, six months ago, I I couldn't even read this code, and now now <laughs> I'm writing it. Like this is this is really cool. Um, it didn't make it any more fun, but at least it was rewarding in that way. And so you kind of realize, like, actually, you know, you don't have to ask for permission. You can learn anything you need to learn to to play this game. And and that is one thing that kind of drove me forward. The the other thing was when I started my second company. Uh, I made two decisions. I told you I, I, I decided I was I was going to do whatever I wanted to do and have fun doing it. But then I also made it a second decision of I was always going to be working on my best idea. And and so fortunately, I haven't I'm not terribly creative. I've had one good idea in a decade. And it's like you should be able to like get get lawn mowing done by pushing a button. And, <laughs> and it should, that's, that's it. I'm still still a decade in working on that. How do we make long hair, faster, quicker, cheaper, smoother, more reliable, um, more seamless, more delightful uh, for both sides of the transaction. And so we're still working on the same problems. And, and so that like by default, this is what we're doing kind of helped take care of a lot of like the internal dialogue. Am I doing the right thing? This mm -hmm. is going slow. I'm not learning this fast enough. Um, it kind of like, just by default, you're just going to be grinding it out. By default, you're going to be working on yourself. And then the third thing, I'll, I'll, third point I'll make, and then and then I'll I'll I'll, I'll shut up about this is, <laughs> is is in business you're going to be doing three things at once at all time. You're 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 working in the business. So in our in our case, making sure the marketplace is running, making sure that that uh, that buyers and sellers are getting matched up, making sure that technically, like at a at a technical level, that the site is working. So you're working in the business, and then you're working on the business, you know, what is our marketing strategy? What is our employee training strategy? What is our, what is our, uh, 
our culture strategy look like? You know, what, how do, how do we solve all of these problems we're facing on, a, on, on an ongoing basis over and over again? What is our strategy? What is our standard operating procedures? Like all of these things, you're working on the business. And then the third thing is you're working on yourself. You know, what are, what are the skills I need to get to the next level of the game? What, where, am, where, where, is, where am I the bottleneck in the organization? Is my leadership lacking? At a tactical level, are, are we, am I the choke point because I don't understand certain parts from a technical level of what's going on? From an economic level, like we, we run a marketplace. So, so, in, so in theory, we kind of like have to understand economic theory at a certain level. Like mm. when, when somebody signs up on our platform, we deliver them the spot price for what lawn care services cost for their yard. And so, so I need, I had to study economics for like six months to, to wrap my head around those, some of those theories. Um, so, so you're always working on yourself and that's kind of block and tackling for whatever challenges the business is facing at that moment. And you're leading the business through it. You said something about the realization that you didn't need permission to learn as you were working at Peachtree um, before you actually launched GreenPal. That's always really interesting to me. So I'm actually now interested in the time prior to Peachtree. Did you have an academic background of any description, like university, college? What was that like for you? Yeah, so that was kind of the impetus for for growing that business. Hmm. I tried to get scholarships. I didn't have the money to go to school. I wanted to go to business school. And so I just mowed yards to pay my tuition. And this was back before Joe Biden was paying everybody's college bills. And <laughs> and you you had to you had to like you know, you had to take on a bunch of student loan debt or, or pay the bill somehow. And so for me, that was motivating to mow yards. And so I would, mm. I would, uh, I would cut grass all day long and then go to school at night. And my, my classmates hated me because I would come in smelling like, smelling like uh, gasoline and grass clippings all over me, like, like, like underneath, underneath the desk where I was sitting was literally like grass clippings all over the floor uh, every day. And, but I did that for like six years and, and got a degree in, in business uh, administration, but it was this weird thing um, I, because I was running a pretty decently sized small business while in school. So by the time I graduated, I think I had five employees and, and we were doing 500 K a year, maybe 700 K a year. So it wasn't a big business, but it was a, it was a decent little small business. And as I'm running a small business, um, and in business school, there's all of this like disconnect between the things I was experiencing and the theory that was taught in school and the things that I was learning from other successful business owners in practice uh, versus what I was learning in school. And <laughs> I decided after I graduated, I was, I was like, man, that was almost a waste of time uh, because I being a contractor and, and growing a business in a, in a, in a, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. So the, the region was just, is, is very vibrant, all kinds of new activity. And I've met so many blue collar millionaires, you know, you know, whether it be a guy who was investing in real estate to a guy selling insurance to another guy who, who had 10 dump trucks, all of them were, were, were very successful and, and, and wealthy in their own right. And I would learn from them. I would learn like their, I would learn from their business acumen and those kind of like rules of thumb, the, those things they were doing were vastly different than what I was learning in business school. And so, so what I decided was, was that I needed to continue to learn, but I had to learn the right way. I had to learn from practitioners, people that were doing what it is I wanted to do. Other operators um, in in other bigger markets than Nashville, I would go to like Chicago or L.A. or 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 
uh, Miami and I would, I would learn from like 50, $75 million a year companies in this industry and apply it to my little landscaping business in Nashville. And so, so I decided to keep learning and, and to keep punching above my weight, but to learn from people who are actually doing what it is I wanted to do. And I still try to do this today with green Pout. but we're the nation, the nation's largest marketplace, um, for, for lawn care services in the United States, but we're still not a household name in the United States. We want to be in the same conversation as an, as an Instacart, a DoorDash, an Uber. And so I'm learning from these other marketplaces. How do they manage liquidity? How do they attract buyers and sellers to the platform? Uh, how do they, how do they uh, get uh, you know, people that, that have fallen out of the funnel and no longer using the platform to re-engage with it? And all of these things. I'm always trying to learn from people who are, who are doing what it is that I'm trying to do. That process of accelerating your learning by looking at other companies that were doing well and then trying to just really uh, take inspiration and education from them. How were you doing that? Because you talked there about traveling from different states, but it's not like you can just call up um, the, the CEO of Uber and say, hey, I want to learn what you're doing. So how exactly were you doing that? It's a, it's a, it's a great question, Scott. So, um, there, you know, the, the concept of, of mentorship hmm. and and asynchronous mentorship. So I can't hit up Travis Kalanick, and, who is the CEO and co-founder of, of Uber. Um, replaced, uh, re- he was replaced about four or five years ago, but he, he, he's the guy who led the team get it, start, get it started. And I can't call mm-hmm. him up and say, hey, man, I want to learn, like, how did you guys get your first 100 drivers? But I can, I can like, consume every spoken word Travis has ever said mm-hmm. <laughs> like, on, on podcasts, on, on, in conference fireside chats and and in you on youtube and especially like rewinding back to 2009 when they were first getting the company going um and everything everybody ever said you know whether it be investors into the company and, and all of that so and and that's something i've done i've i've consumed every spoken word that probably a dozen to 20 different founders have ever said because i want to learn what is it that they did in, in, in their space that I can apply to my humble little space of, of lawn care? So that's one thing I do. Uh, so asynchronous mentorship. There, there's, there's 20 different mentors I have who have never met me. And that's possible today. Back when I was building a landscaping company in, in 2002, I, I, you would have to buy cassette tapes uh, that, that, uh, where, where you would listen to somebody speak at a conference somewhere. And so you would you would mail a check in for five hundred bucks and get some cassette tapes back. And so I would do that then, but nowadays it's so much easier. There's literally no excuse. <laughs> and so that that's one way I do it. The other the other thing I've done that's been tremendously helpful because GreenPow is is self funded. We're a, we're a bootstrap startup. We've never mm-hmm. taken a dime of outside capital, and we've had to like grow the business off of its own revenues. And, and in the early days when we didn't have any idea what the hell we were doing. I had never built a, a a product, a tech product. I had never managed or built or orchestrated a marketplace. And so, so I was paranoid and scared. And I let that paranoia uh, cause me to, to try to learn and figure it out and, and figure out what the next moves were and to learn from people who were already doing it. There was no other marketplace for lawn care, but I could drive. I could. So I, dro- I drove for Uber. I, I delivered groceries on Instacart. I delivered Chinese food on DoorDash. Uh, there, in the United States, we have a couple platforms for, for pet care. One is called uh, WAG and one is called Rover. 
And I signed up on, on, on both of those and walked dogs on those. Um, and, and babysat dogs on those. I, I rent a, a spare bedroom on Airbnb. I used every single localized marketplace that was in the business of making real world experiences happen smoother and faster and cheaper through a, through a technology, a technology interface. Um, and try to learn from them. Okay, well, how are they crafting the UI? How, what does the copy say on the screen? Hmm. What does the, what does the push notification say? And when is it sent when I forgot to put my credit card in or when I used it once and never used it again? Or as a supplier, if I'm late, this is a big one. If I'm late for the dog walking appointment, how do they handle that? Hmm. Um, what, you know, what are the mechanics of their marketplace to ensure that I'm on time to walk the dog on time? And so I would learn and, uh, and apply a, a little, a little bit from every one of them to, to our platform at GreenPal to make sure when you order a lawn mowing service, it happens on Thursday, like you, you expect it to. When you talk about this journey and all the lessons that you've learned and you compare that to what you were telling me about business school. What are some of the biggest differences, the, the things that are top of mind for you that just aren't taught in at least the business school that you attended that you kind of think are so important to really run a successful business? This, 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 it's the same disconnect when you're hiring. When, when, when we're hiring, I, I heard this um, somewhere to look for, you know, when you're a startup and you're your first 10, 20, 30, 40 people, look, look for romantics and pirates. And, and so romantics, you know, people who are just in love with the product in love with the idea, they know more about it than you do. They're just romantic about, about the, the mission or, or pirates, people who don't conform to the, the norms. They're looking for any way to solve a problem by any means necessary. They're scrappy, uh, they're relentless. Um, and that's what you're looking for as your first five to 10, maybe 20, 20 people that you bring on, on board on your mission. Green is still a small company. We're less than 40 people. And so, and so that same kind of disconnect between looking for pirates and romantics versus like a well-groomed MBA uh, with with a, a nice corporate background at four big companies is the same is this, is the same disconnect between what you learn in in business school versus what it's really like boots on the ground getting a business going from zero to one getting your first hundred k in revenue getting your first million in revenues, try to figure out systems to get the five million. Like you're not going to learn that in a, tr- in a traditional university setting. Um, you're going to learn that on YouTube university from people who have done that. And you're going to spend half your time wading through the scams that, 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 that don't work and, and doubling down on, on the content that is good. And so, and so that's kind of like the business school that as, as I experienced it was for, um, People who are stewards of of well running or, or 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 at scale companies already, and they're like plugged into a machine that's already working. It's not going to teach you what you have to do to get your first ten customers and and get get your first ten credit cards and figure out how to keep those people and how to build a product to satisfy them. And the, the other thing I learned that that was really astounding that kind of furthered this 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 notion was when I was starting GreenPal. We would go to these little hackathons. Back then in 2013, 14, 15, these weekend hackathons were popular. And they're not so much anymore for some reason. But you you would get a bunch of people together and it'd be like a little networking event. And you would try to build a business in a weekend. 
and you would come to, you would come to the you would literally come there on Friday night you'd have no idea and you would get two or three people together you'd come up with an idea you'd hack together a prototype and you have to go out and get 10 customers by Sunday night you can learn more in a weekend of doing that than you can learn about getting a business going than you can in four years of business school Mm. You said at one point there was a fear and that fear led you to immerse yourself in all of these other different companies that are doing similar things in different industries. Does that fear that you talked about still exist today? Absolutely. You're <laughs> always you're always you're always ahead of your skis and and punching above your weight. And and I it's okay to be scared uh, as to what's around the corner. It's not okay to not have the courage to to take action to deal with it like hope hope is not a strategy and so you can't hope it's going to be okay and hope that it works out and hope that you have the the tooling and skill sets you need and things are in place let that fear motivate you to act inside of what's inside of your control and your little circle of influence to to better prepare yourself for it and it's 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 a good thing it's 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 a natural thing and it's okay to be scared and to have that fear and anxiety, but let that let that give you the courage to to do the things you need to do today to be ready for it. And and that's what makes it interesting. You know, that's what makes it a story worth telling. That's what makes it fun in a way and rewarding in a way. If it, if, if you didn't have those challenges, if you as the main character of this story wasn't going through these these ups and downs, then it'd be pretty dull. It'd be pretty lame. And so it's 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 in a way a good thing. And every Everything that I was scared of in the last 22 years of business and every challenge I ever went through five years later, I was always glad it happened because that was the thing that caused me to take the action to put me in the position where I am today. Hmm. And when you were going through that process of immersing yourself in all these different companies and learning about what they do and how they do it, all of that information that you absorb. Did you write that down? How did you then curate that information? Because I assume there was a process where that information essentially works its way into some kind of MVP for what Green Power is today. Absolutely. And and what I did was I, I I'm I'm a big fan of forcing functions and and what I call tripwires. So so these are like things that you put in your path that cause you to take action. And it's like the daily habits and the routines. You, you almost like the whole point of all of that was to have a goal of I, I just want a I want a product that works because we we built the product and it, it was horrible. Like you 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 pushed a button, the, the the long guy wouldn't bid. If he did bid, he wouldn't show up. If he showed up, he'd do a terrible job. If he did a job at all, he'd let the do- he'd leave the, the the fence open and leave the dog out. There's a million things that went wrong. And so I just wanted a product that worked well for on a, on a small scale. And so that was the goal. And so okay, how do I get there? Well, I've got to learn. There's 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 a dozen other platforms similar to mine that are making magic happen. How are they doing it? So I need to, I need to deconstruct what they're doing. And, and so the goal is for my platform to be solid and, and to work seamless, but, but let, let's just forget about that. Let me, let me work this process of, of tearing down all of these, these other, other marketplaces and, and reverse engineering them from the inside out. And it's going to take a year, maybe two, but if I just do, one a week uh, from the buyer side and seller side um, and set that set that kind of like ex- expiration date of every week. At the end of every week, I need to make a, a blog post about it. And so I would write, I would do a blog post on Quora 
or medium or somewhere. And that was my thing. That was the input metric was every single week we needed to do a teardown of, of how much you could make delivering food for Postmates. What was the workflow, uh, the, the onboarding experience like? What, what was the order volume? What did that look like? How busy were you? Um, what did the screens look like? Screenshots of, of all the key screens. What does the emails and text messages and push notifications look like? And doing like a full teardown of, of one platform from buyer and then seller um, and then re- and then and then creating a, uh, a a blog post somewhere about it on a weekly basis was the input metric that then got me to the output metric of okay now I have a key understanding a much better understanding of of how we need to architect GreenPal because I have downloaded all of these best practices mm. from, from all of these well funded uh, venture backed startups many of whom you know are public today some didn't make it some went out of business. Um, but I was able to, to learn for, like on the cheap, uh, be, what they were doing and, and apply it to what we were doing. And, and, and not all, I almost kind of forgot, I didn't forget about what the goal was, mm. but like goals almost don't matter. It's the, it's the weekly, daily and weekly habits and routines to get there that do. Is that something you did at Peachtree at all as well? In the early days, um, I did it every, every wrong way you could. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and so I had to experience the pain of, of just organized chaos yeah. and in the pain of I'll never forget, you know, I was, it was maybe year six or seven and, and I hadn't had a vacation in five years and I just wanted to go away for one weekend. <laughs> and I, and I came back on a Monday and like the business was almost, almost cratered. Like it was just almost right. gone. It was like a smoldering, like hole where a bomb went off and, and I had a, I had to figure, I was like, man, this is no way to live. Uh, and I have maybe had 20 or 30 people at that point. It was still a small business. And, and so then I had to, I had to figure out a way to, to make this more, more like McDonald's, <laughs> you know, where I can go to anywhere in the world and get a Big Mac and it tastes pretty much the same. If, if, you know, if McDonald's is one end on the spectrum and I'm on the other end of the spectrum, I got to figure out how to close that gap. And so I would just focus on one little piece of the business at a time. I, I, I would come in on Sunday afternoons and just figure out, okay, what is the number one thing that is just that I'm always having to wrangle, that I'm always having to get my hands on? And it could, and at, at one time it was employee training. You know, I would have to personally train uh, our new recruits on, on the way we did things. And so, so I spent six months just creating lawn care university where we could bring somebody in and train them up in two weeks through a series of videos, tests, videos, tests, um, on the, on the field certifications and and things of that sort. So we could get somebody up to speed in two weeks rather than six months. And so that was just an example of, of figuring out one piece of the business, developing a, a standard operating procedure around it, documenting the whole thing. And, and that was, Doing that for five or six years and, and operationalizing, you know, all of the aspects of the business is one of the only things that enabled me to get the business acquired. It, do, it doesn't really happen very often in a in a home services business like that that they get bought by a national company. So, so to do that, you know, you kind of have to have them run like a well oiled machine. One of the ways to do that is figure out how to McDonaldize your business and, and make it where it could run without you and you could leave for a weekend and it still be there when you get back. 
I like McDonald eyes. That's a good <laughs> word. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite one of my favorite books is is Grinding It Out uh uh by the founder of McDonald's and and uh that that's that's you know he was a he was an an innovator in in the idea of of franchise systems and and being able to to create a, pro, a standardized process for everything and if we can all do that in our own, in our own little small businesses it can make our lives a lot lot better a lot easier Funnily enough, it was only, I think, last week or the week before that I watched a film which I guess went under the radar because I'd never heard about it from about maybe five years ago. And I think the film's called Founder and it has Michael Keaton in it. One Um, of my favorite movies. Right. Yeah. And it talks about kind of everything that you're talking about here. So uh, whether you go for the book or you go for this film, uh, there's a lot of information on there on McDonaldizing is what I'm going to call it. I'm interested here in the commonalities between Peachtree and GreenPal. And you've kind of described a lot of it there about how you approach scaling those businesses. With um, We haven't really talked too much about Peachtree and the actual location you operated in or the services you offered. So just briefly, with Peachtree, could you just describe the services and a little bit about how you scaled that business? Yeah, it's one. there's a lot of commonalities between the blue collar experience of, of running a, a blue collar business versus uh, running a technology business. There's a lot of things that are the same and there's a lot of things that are different. Anything from the operations to how you get customers um, are very different with, with Peachtree. It was about year four or five that I had an epiphany that I wasn't in the landscaping of business at all. I was in the sales business and and that the landscaping was just table stakes you know you you have a, a, a as a founder in a in a, a services business you tend to over index on a lot of things that 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 are just kind of like table stakes um you know new equipment new trucks uniformed employees quality work we show up on time we do what we say we're going to do we stand behind our work these aren't value propositions uh, these, these are things that customers expect. And so it took me like five years to kind of get over that and to realize all of these things you busted your butt building are really just, just get, just get you a seat at the table. And that really the business you're in is, is connecting, uh, potential customers to that value and figuring out a process and a system to better, better sell your services. And, and this is where a lot of small business owners, particularly, blue collar business owners um fall short and and you see you see it you know you you see it in all in a lot of industries the 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 most well-known lawyer in town it may not necessarily be the best lawyer but he's the one with the best marketing machine behind him Mm. same thing goes with the the best dentist the best the best skincare shop uh the best uh you know you name it you can go to any industry and 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 so they these business owners realize that that the business they're in needs to be uh, as good as the competitors, but the real business they're in is the, is the sales system. And, and so I just, I've had that epiphany and I thought, okay, well, I need to, first I need to learn from, from other companies in my space and maybe, maybe companies outside of my space. And so I would talk to other founders. I would observe, um, the, how they, how they ran their sales teams and how they prospected new clients and how they pitched their business and closed their business. And some things I agreed with and some things I didn't. And I would begin to key in and hone uh, uh, my sales process. And so I ran the sales process for for two or three years, and then I began to codify. Okay, how do we how do we differentiate what we do? 
And because a lot of times landscaping maintenance can be a commodity. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, we're just talking about cut grass here. It's not like uh, one is much different than the other. And, and so when you're in a commodity service like that, it can get, you know, you, you can get to a point where all you're doing is selling on price and you're looking for ways to cut corners and, mm-hmm. and cut costs and sell on price. And that's like a, a death spiral. And I thought we got to figure out a way to get out of that. And, and so I would, it took me a long time to figure this out, but I would figure out what is it we're doing and how do we, how do we help our customers get where they're trying to go? So we, we, we focused on the com- commercial clientele. And so we would go to apartment communities uh, and, 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 and we would say, uh, you know, we, we want to be considered uh, to, to quote your landscaping services for this apartment complex when the contract comes up and, and uh, we're, we're talking 50, hundred thousand dollar year contracts. And we would say, you know, what is your, what is your vacancy rate here at this community? And they would say, well, why do you ask that? And, and we would say, well, we, we were members of the, the Greater Nashville Apartment Association, and they tell us that, that the average vacancy rate for this region is, is, is you know, it's 90, 92% uh, occupied, so 8% vacant. And, yeah. and they would say, well, we're at 87. And, and we would say, well, okay, well, what if we could develop a plan to help you get to 90? <laughs> and we could get there... I mean, we have some ideas. We could we could enhance the beauty of the area around the model home. We can enhance the beauty around the entrance to to bring people in. We can make this take this from a B plus place to live to an A A plus place to live through proactive landscape maintenance and to work this plan. So now we've changed the conversation from what's the cheapest way to get the grass from ten inches to four inches to how do we how do we improve the actual return of this of this hundred million dollar asset? Um, and landscape maintenance is a part of that. And so we did that. It took a long time to 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 figure that process out, and it took it took longer to run that process than trying to sell on price. But that's what enabled us to to eventually build a, an eight figure business that was still growing, that was able to get acquired. Was was that sales system and reframing how we sold. And then, and then to your point, we, we, we then began to, to scale the company into the region. We, we were just, we, no, we were no longer in Nashville, Tennessee. At, at the right. end of it, we, we, we ended up serving a, a, a big footprint, about a hundred mile radius around the city. And eventually we were going to go to Atlanta and Chattanooga and Memphis. And, uh, but then the business was acquired and, and that next company ended up doing that. And with GreenPal, did you start in Tennessee in the same way as you were building out that business? Yeah, so so here I sell sell Peachtree, and I think I know everything there is to know about <laughs> getting a business going, and and uh, I start and then I start Green Pal, and it was it was clearly evident that three months or six months in that this was a different game. This mm. was, I mean, there were some things that were the same, but this is really like starting all over again, and and everything I didn't know. All, a lot of the assumptions I had were not correct, and I didn't have the skills that I needed to to take this thing from level one to two. So a lot of it was was working on myself and and learning what we needed to do and unpacking that. And then and and one thing I did know in my gut was I know I had aspirations to 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 have a nationwide platform, but there was no reason to to grow this thing outside of of Nashville until we figured it out. 
uh, like nail it, then scale it. And, and if we had a hundred people use it last week, 99 of them needed to be happy. And in those days, if a hundred people used it, only about 15 were happy. Right. <laughs> so, so we had to figure out, uh, and it wasn't even a hundred, it was like 20. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like, okay, 20 people had transactions last week and 18 of them are pissed off at us. Well, I don't really know what we're doing, but I do know there's no reason to take it to Atlanta or Memphis or Tampa or anywhere else until we can figure out how to make 19 and a half of those people happy out of the 20 that used it last week. And so we, we, we spent three, about two and a half years figuring that out. Uh, when you hire a lawn care service, there's about a hundred things that can go wrong between you hiring them and them coming out and doing a great job for you. Uh, you know, equipment got stolen. Uh, my helper got a DUI. I got a DUI. <laughs> uh, um, uh, it rained that day. Uh, my, my lawnmower is too big for your fence. Um, I don't feel like working that day just, just because I don't feel like working that day. It's too hot. Um, your grass is too tall. Uh, you know, a hundred and, and it goes, list goes on and on and on and on and on. And so we, we began to understand that all of the reasons why it, it sucks to hire a lawn care service are now our problem. We have to solve those with technology. And, and, and all of the reasons why it sucks to run a lawn care business, because ha- those hundred things, that list is about a thousand things long for the, for the operator. And, and so now we have to solve all of those problems and, 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 and make each one of them go away through, through technology. And that took a long time. And, and, and we still don't have it perfect. Uh, you know, uh, if a hundred people, now we have thousands of people use it every day. Um, but if a hundred people use it, you know, 99 of them are happy, but maybe one, 1% of the transactions goes wrong. And so everything we do is figuring out how do we take that 1% and cut it in half. Has there been a, any functionality or anything that you've introduced to the business or the technology that has helped you to reduce that number so or it helped you increase the number of satisfied customers that you think has been kind of pivotal in the early days it was a lot of things that that I didn't anticipate so so I came from a contractor background where it was very like dog eat dog the competition was was really really fierce and and you know you would get an opportunity to submit a, a request for pricing for a property and you would show up and there would literally be three other contractors there and and it was just really really comp- really competitive and so i thought that getting the contractors to show up and actually do the service and get paid would be the easy part as it turns out that was the hardest part of the whole thing it, it was it was like we we learned in the early days that I thought we were delivering, um, I thought we were delivering price efficiency and uh, a more cost effective way to get this service done. And after we talked to our first hundred customers, we realized, no, we were in the we were in the business of the case of the disappearing lawn guy, and, f- and figuring out how to solve that problem. We were in the business of speed and reliability. Getting getting the contractor to sh- to submit a quote really fast and to show up when they're supposed to was the the business we were in. So one of the first things we introduced uh, was okay, you know, you've got two or three customers on our platform, and and you and you're supposed to be there to mow Mrs. Smith's house on Thursday. 
And, and if you don't show up on Thursday, we, we nag the hell out of you. And in the early days, it was me calling you. It was, it was, it was, Hey, where are you at? But as, as, as time went on, we op, we systemized these things. And so we text you every hour, where are you? Where are you? And then if you ignore all of those, the next morning, your account is locked down. And the only thing you can do is go mow Mrs. Smith's yard. And if you don't do that, by by that afternoon, your account is shut down, deleted, gone forever. You yeah. are you have proven yourself to not be a reliable contractor, uh, and and so you would you would I mean, that was how ninety percent of the contractors interacted with our system until they finally got beaten into submission to understand that no, I need to be there. I sign. I I submitted my quote. I am supposed to be there on Thursday. I needed I need to be there on Thursday, and so just creating that one like roadblock in the workflow um, is how we has how we cut you know the the un, the number of unsatisfied customers in half. So just that one thing, and so now you know now that we have thousands of people going through it every day, it's it's more in terms of measurement and measuring. Okay, how often do these contractors show up a day early or the day they're supposed to, and then we score them. And we assign them a rating and then we promote, we promote them on the platform or demote them on the platform based on how that rating is. And the bottom 10% of contractors are cut every month. Um, and so it's just, it's this ongoing, like liquid fluid way of promoting the reliable service providers who take this business seriously, who, who want to do a good job for their clients and demoting and expelling the bad ones. Hmm. So then taking all of this information, because it, it seems to me once you've, once you've nailed what the users want, so you talked about reliability and speed, that naturally makes its way into how to market your business, I'd assume. Exactly. So I'd assume that key marketing messages for Green Power are related to your reliability, trust, and speed. Is that how the process works? That's exactly right. So it, one of the only things we did correctly in the early days was we, we read every book we could get our hands on um, about trying to figure out what the hell it was we were doing. So <laughs> the first thing we did is we this, this book was just coming out, but we picked up a copy of The Lean Startup by Eric Reese yep. and read that book, understood about 10% of it. And then, and then came to understand that, that, that Eric Reese had, had a mentor, a guy named Steve Blank, and he wrote a book called Four Steps to the Epiphany and the Startup Owner's Manual. Read those two books and I understood about half of it. And, and, and so reading those three books, a thousand pages of text, I came away with one thing beaten into my head which is you have to get out of the building. You have to get out from behind the laptop and in the kitchen ta- uh in the kitchen at, at the kitchen table for with the person that used your product into the Starbucks uh and in front of the person who used your product. And and you know that it may only be 20 or 30 or 50 people, but you need to talk to every single one of them. And let them tell you uh, what what they liked about the product, what they didn't like, what they wish it would do better, uh, what they were expecting would happen, and what did and what didn't. And then also, more importantly, why they chose to use your product and how they normally solve this problem. And those key insights, especially in those early days, are critical because they they kind of determine the vector you know, the, of, 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 of what 
path you're going on. And in those early days, you know, one degree off here or there uh, could be the difference between success and failure because you're kind of set off on this path. And, and so we thought in those early days that, you know, save $10 on your lawn mowing in Nashville, Tennessee, the cheapest way to get your grass cut in Nashville. Save 10% off lawn care in Nashville. Like these were, this was our value proposition. And talking to customers, they, they would tell us, no, you know, I, I asked friends and family for, for recommendations. Um, and none of those, none of those service providers sh- uh, showed up. Um, I went on Facebook Marketplace. One guy promised to be out here and he, and he did, but he only did the front yard. Uh, and then, so I found your, I found your property on Google and, uh, I just used it out of desperation because it looked like I can get somebody today. And, and so we kept hearing that over and over again, that, that people would find us on, on Google and, and that they would go to a search result engine to try to solve this problem. And, and the problem wasn't this burning desire to save $10 on lawn mowing. The problem was I'm about to get a letter from the city because my grass is so, so tall and I, I, I've gotten ghosted and flaked on by two other service providers. I need somebody to mow this before the weekend. That's the problem. And so we, we went from save $10 on lawn cutting in Nashville to get your lawn mowed in Nashville today without making a phone call, even if it's four feet tall. Uh, that's, that's our, that was our, that's how we keyed in on the value proposition was, belly to belly conversations with with customers inside of every coffee shop in Nashville at kitchen tables and learning and meeting them where they were at and, and trying to figure out and let, letting that free R&D guide our decision making. As I understand it, you how many active customers do you have today? I understand it was 200,000, but that's in the notes that I have. I'm sure it's more than that. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's close to it's 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 actually over 300,000 now yeah. that are using it to get lawn mowing done and then over 30,000 contractors using it to run their lawn mowing business. And our goal is to get to a million. We we feel like we need to get to a million people using it on a weekly basis um to become part of that default way you do this you know to kind of reach that tipping point of of being in the in the in the english language in the united states anyway uh you know oh your grass is four feet tall just get a green pal to do it uh that that's that's what we're driving and we're coming towards the end of our time together for anyone listening in the u.s are you operational in every state now yeah, every city yep. in the United States that's over 10, 15,000 people, you can get a lawn mowing service uh, through GreenPal. So just go to greenpal.com and it's free to sign up. Check it out. And just in closing, one final question for you. So this aspect of understanding what your customers want, changing and updating the platform, you've said several times that you're, you know, you've got this, uh, did you say a million active customers is what you, your kind of long-term goal is? That's where I want to be yep. in five years or less. And, and, you know, self-funding the business is good because it, it, it's, it's like you can't really make a whole lot of mistakes. You, you, you bring mm-hmm. a little bit of money in and you put that money back out to work on growth. So little by little, you know, we're still growing 30, 40%. I feel like we'll be there sooner than five years, but that's where I want to be. And what are some key initiatives, whether that's functionality or marketing? What do you think is going to be key in helping you get there? Well, first off, it's a $99 billion industry. So, so it's like <laughs> we're just a drop in the bucket. So, it's, yeah. it's, it's, so we haven't reached the point of saturation to, to do anything wildly different, like going into other verticals or anything like that. So that's good news. The things that make it hard 
uh, also make it valuable. And and so and so that's the one thing. Search engine optimization, Google organic search is is our primary channel. It's how we get over half the people that don't know about GreenPal to try it out. We still have a lot of of white space left there too. We rank in the top three for most of our our head terms, but we really want to rank one everywhere. And so how, how do we close that gap? Um, and then the second thing is, is we leave a lot of money on the table in terms of, of people that sign up that never, that never activate, you know, over, over half, you know, if you, if you sign up on GreenPal and, and get quotes half the time, you never hire anybody. And so we're trying to figure out how do we take that and and maybe make that only 25% of the time. And so talking to people who never hired somebody and, and, and it's like, we're, we're, we're literally laying in a bathtub full of, of the business we need. So, so it's no, there's no reason to try anything outlandish until we figure out how to, how to activate those customers. We're not, we're not activating. And, uh, and then one way we think we're going to be able to do that is, it's kind of like how Airbnb in year, I don't know, maybe year five, they figured out if they could just work out the mechanics of an instant book mm. system. You remember back in the old days, of Airbnb, yeah. you had to, you had to ping the host and, and beg them to let them <laughs> let you stay there for the weekend. And they would say, eh, maybe, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll accept the book. Um, and it wasn't until they, they, they spent a tremendous amount of resources or uh, building the, the backend infrastructure to figure out how to make that smooth where you could, you could just order it like a hotel room. We want to do that for lawn mowing. So, so right now you have to, as a consumer, you sign up on our platform and, and we, we send that invitation out to 40 contractors in your area. And, and, and then the ones that are available submit their price based on your specs. And then you get four or five quotes and you hire one. Well, that process could take three minutes or it could take a couple of hours. In either event, it's still a lot faster than doing it the old way. But it's it's that gap between three minutes and a few hours that we're working on reducing with 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 a similar style of of an instant book magical solution where okay yes thirty eight bucks book him he'll be here at three o'clock done mm. and so that's what we're working on. Well, Brian, it's such a great concept. Uh, I've really enjoyed learning about your journey so far. I think it really is such a great idea. You've clearly executed it well so far. I have no doubt that you can achieve that uh, target of one million customers and um the the website for anyone that's interested is yourgreenpal.com that'll be in the show notes you have android and apple apps available too uh in the us stores as well so um feel free to check out all of those resources brian is there anywhere else people can connect with you yeah hit me up on linkedin or uh actually instagram is where i hang out a lot too brian m clayton just drop me a dm there okay well this has been the internet marketing podcast take care